morning, Kavanaugh. Thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in online. Will you all stand with us and let's begin our service singing the only name that matters to me.
morning, Kavanaugh. How are we doing this morning? It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. Um, I just want to read a verse to you all this morning. This is 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. Let me read that one more time. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I don't know what y'all are walking through this morning, what you may be going through, but I want you to know right now that because that we are filled with the Spirit, we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we have freedom in whatever situation we're walking through, and we have the power, not of fear, but of power of self-control and of love. And so as we continue to worship this morning, let's remember that. I'm going to pray for us real quick. Dear God, we thank you this morning for bringing us here together, God, and we just love you, and we're so thankful for all the many things that you've done for us in our lives, God. I just pray that this morning as we continue to worship and as we continue to just praise your name, that you would just speak to us individually, God, and that you would just um, have us to hear what you would want. Open our ears, God, and let us listen to the word. And I pray that we would just be receptive and obedient to what you're speaking to us this morning, God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
We welcome you. For those who are watching online, thanks for uh, tuning us in and being with us today. I appreciate Elisa giving the welcome today. Elisa is uh, serving as one of our two summer interns. Uh, Her and James are doing a fantastic job, and I appreciate her good welcome today. I'm glad that you're here. And I got a couple of buddies out there that are with us today. Uh, Stephen and Haley Harrison are here today. Uh, Stephen and Haley grew up at uh, our church in Pine Bluff, the Oak Park Church. I remember these guys when they were little bitty kids, and uh, God has done an amazing work in their life. They 
fell in love and got married, and now they're ministering in the Pine Bluff community. Stephen and Haley are pastor of the uh, family church. It's one church in three locations, Whitehall, Pine Bluff, and Redfield. And uh, guys, I, I cannot tell you how proud I am of you. Let's welcome them to Kavanaugh today. Glad that they are here. They're visiting today. Stephen, would you mind coming on up here to the stage? You can come on up here. I want you to pray for us, man. Uh, you can pull your mask off as you're walking up here. And as he's coming, Haley, I want to say to you, some of my fondest memories in Pine Bluff were of you and your family. Uh, Haley's dad, uh, Les Cooper, was one of my best friends. And Haley, some of the best memories we have were at the lake with your family. And I love you, girl. Stephen, I love you. Would you pray for Kavanaugh Church in our service today? Thank sure. You. What an honor. Um, Lord, we uh, come to worship you today. And thank you so much for uh, just being all that we need during this time in a world that is full of uncertainty in a world that seems like it's falling apart you are constant and you stay the same and we are thankful for that lord encourage us today uh, let your word saturate our hearts and our minds and let us be obedient because we want to we get to and today your name is above every name in jesus name amen amen thank you buddy god bless you thank you Stephen. appreciate you man well church i'm, I'm excited to share with you today from god's word i've been uh, preaching a series on the Holy Spirit. I've called it the Spirit Way. And really what we've done over the last several weeks is camp out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to be there today. The Spirit Way, the life that you've always wanted and the power that you have always needed. All right. And uh, what we've discovered is the Holy Spirit is the dispenser of spiritual gifts. Uh, the moment you were saved, when you invited Jesus into your heart and were born again, a couple of things happened. Immediately, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that is your ticket into heaven, all right? No one whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they will not enter into eternity. So your name was written in that book, and the moment you were saved, God gave you the gift of his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you now, representing the, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we discovered that when the Holy Spirit moved into your life, he brought with him spiritual gifts, and he dispensed to you your spiritual gift. Every believer has at least one. Some of you have multiple spiritual gifts. And our goal as an individual believer is to unwrap that spiritual gift and use it for the edification, that is the building up of the body of Christ as you get involved in ministry. So that's where we are in our passage today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 8 through 11 as Paul defines nine of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit can dispense. He said in verse 8, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of those tongues. And he summed it up in verse 11 by saying, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So that tells us you don't get to choose your spiritual gift. 
nor do you get to choose the gift that anybody else has. <laughs> That's the job of the Holy Spirit as he dispenses these gifts to us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak this word into our hearts. In fact, Holy Spirit, as I speak on the outside, would you please speak into our hearts this word of truth in Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week we ended with verse number seven, which tells us that these spiritual gifts are the manifestation of the Spirit of God. That is, the gifts are deposited by the Holy Spirit in our lives, and as we use them, we are manifesting the work of God in the church of Jesus Christ. And what follows in our passage today are a list of nine spiritual gifts. So when you combine all of the lists that appear in the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, and this list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you come up with about 20 different spiritual gifts depending on how you define each one of them. And so today we're going to look at the nine that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I believe there is a reason Paul chose these nine to talk about, and we will discover that in our lesson today. Last week, we looked really at the first two on the list, so I'll just mention them this morning, because if there are nine gifts, how many points do we have? <laughs> We've got nine to talk about, so we really can't camp out on any one of them. The first two are the word of wisdom, and number two, the word of knowledge. The word of wisdom is the ability to make skillful and practical application of scriptural truth to real-life situations. And I'm so glad there are people within the church who have this gift of the word of wisdom. And what that means is this. These people can take the written word of God, read it, understand it, and then make application to real-life situations, giving us the wisdom of God. And, and can you see on a big level how that is needed in the church? We face perplexing problems. We live in difficult times. Right now, our world is a mess, is it not? How do we respond to COVID-19? How do we respond to racism in our generation? Well, those with this gift of wisdom can read God's word and give us a word of wisdom from the word of God. And you need to identify people in our church that have this gift of wisdom so that when you're facing real-life situations, difficult situations, you can go to them and seek counsel from the Word of God. I'm thankful to you who have the gift of wisdom because I lean on you. The second gift is the Word of Knowledge. Again, in verse 8, he says to another the Word of Knowledge, and this is given through the same Spirit. So this word of knowledge is the ability to research, remember, and make effective use of scriptural information, and then to pass this information on to others. So the person who has this word of knowledge gift is a student of God's word. Literally, they spend hours, if not an entire lifetime, studying the Word of God. They will look at the text and the context. They are able to exegete Scripture so that they can apply it to real-life situations. 
Someone who has this word of knowledge does what my seminary professor said we need to do as preachers, and that is present the McDonald's arch. We take what God's word said and explain it in such a way that the people understand it, but we also take it over that other arch and tell you what God's word is saying to your real life experience. And I'm so thankful for all of our teachers within this church and our other pastors who have this word of knowledge gift who can clearly take a difficult passage and explain it to us in such a way that we not only understand it, but we can apply it to everyday life. And and I think the fact that these two gifts appear at the top of the list is an indication of their importance to us. And and certainly that makes sense. In the body of Christ, we need people who keep us connected to a spirit-empowered way of life through the Word of God. For the Word of God is power. Come on. The Word of God is our power. It's what the Spirit of God uses to lift us up, to encourage us, to exhort us. But it is also the same Holy Spirit who orchestrates how that word is delivered at just the right time, at just the right way, and it shoots straight to the issues that we are dealing with in life. So the Holy Spirit not only gifts certain people to understand the word of God and to share the word of God, but he also orchestrates the timing so that at just the right time, the teacher or the preacher or the counselor is presenting the word of God that you need wisdom with and understanding of. Wow, amen, isn't that exciting? It doesn't happen It doesn't happen every Sunday, Stephen, you know this, but there are some Sundays after I preach, somebody will come up here and they'll say to me, Brother Will, that was absolutely the best sermon you've ever preached. I mean, that was the best sermon I've ever heard you preach. And I've been here 22 years. They've heard a lot of sermons. Now, I know it's not the best sermon I've ever preached. <laughs> I know that because I rank them in my head when I preach them, you know. The good, the bad, the ugly, you know, I I know where it ranks. And I know that wasn't the best sermon I've ever preached. But what I do know is this, God used whatever sermon that was to speak to the need that that person had in their life at that very moment. So for them, it was the best sermon that they needed and they ever heard. Praise God for that. Amen. That's the word of God being spoken and used by the Holy Spirit to change our lives. So, there we have the first two gifts. Are you ready to go home? You just say amen and leave right now? No, we've got more to do. Verses 9 through 10, we come to some of the gifts that are called the miraculous gifts. The gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of miracles, the gift of prophecy, discerning spirits, the gift of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. These are called the miraculous gifts. And and there's a lot of division and misunderstanding and difference of opinions when we come to these miraculous gifts. So as I jump into these gifts, uh, let me just caution us about two different extremes. One extreme says that God doesn't perform miracles anymore and that these gifts are not in use 
in the modern day church that what God did in the New Testament and for the early church was to establish the church but after the apostles these miracles and these gifts died off well let me just remind you that that one of the benefits of being God is that God can do whatever he wants to do and I do not believe this or go to that extreme simply because of what Psalms 115 verse 3 says our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him so God can do whatever he wants to do in the church the other extreme says that God has to perform the miracle that anytime we ask God to heal someone or for God to perform a miracle God has got to do it or else there is something wrong with our faith. And I would not go to that extreme either. I'll just tell you that, that I don't believe that spiritual gifts have ceased. There are a lot of free will Baptist scholars, a lot of Baptist scholars who come to this point and say that, that these gifts no longer exist in the body of Christ, that they were used by the early apostles to establish the church and get it going, but after the days of the apostle, these gifts have ceased. Cessationalists are what they're called. The, the gifts no longer apply to the modern-day church. But you know what? As I read through Scripture, I, I really don't see evidence of that. I understand perfectly clear that in the next chapter, chapter 13, when Paul is discussing love, he says in verse 8, there will come a time when gifts stop, when prophecies fail, when tongues cease, when knowledge fails. But really what he's talking about is when Jesus comes back. We will have no longer need of spiritual gifts in the church because the church is going to be raptured and we're going to be with Jesus in heaven. However, I will tell you this, that these gifts are many times misunderstood and misapplied. I believe that they are still in use today, but they may be used in a variety of ways, some of them differing from when they were used in the apostolic times. My caution is this, everything that we see happening through these gifts need to be brought before the Supreme Court of the Word of God for validation. So let's jump in there. You ready? Let's wade into these miraculous gifts. Are you with me? The first is the gift of faith. Verse 9 says, to another faith by the same spirit. Now, the, the Bible often speaks of saving faith, which you have to have if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. We, we can't be saved apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ. But that is not what Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. No, this is a spiritual gift that is possessed by some, but not all, in the body of Christ. When I was at Southwestern Seminary, my New Testament professor was Dr. Jack McCormick. And he wrote a little commentary on 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And he called it the gifts of the Spirit. And this is what he said about this spirit of a gift of faith. He said, the Spirit of God bestows the gift of extraordinary faith upon some believers and it makes possible mighty works or accomplishments in other words it is the ability to envision what needs to be done 
and to trust God to accomplish to do it, even though it seems impossible to most people. The, the people who have this gift of faith are people who have faith and confidence in God that gives them hope, no matter what the circumstances may be. These are people who always boast about the power of God. So when the situation looks bad, it really doesn't matter to them because they are trusting in God in difficult times when everybody else has given up. And let me just try to show you in a real practical way why we need people who have this gift of faith at Kavanaugh Church. Maybe your family life is a mess. Maybe you've written the definition of dysfunctional. You're the big D. Your marriage is falling apart, and you're ready to walk out the door and just forget it all. Well, this person of faith will come along beside you and say, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. You need to trust God to do a miracle in your family and in your marriage. Let's get down on our knees and pray about it. And they'll encourage you. Maybe you've lost your job, and you're not having any luck finding a new job. And it's really looking bad for you, and you're about to go under. This person who has the gift of faith will come alongside of you and encourage you. And again, say, don't give up. Hold on just a little bit longer. Let's go down to the altar and pray this thing through. Because I believe God's got something for you out there. We need people like that. They keep us focused and on target. In our world that is crumbling and falling apart, we need people with the gift of faith to keep us focused on the power of God. I think of Joshua and Caleb in the Old Testament. We got a Joshua and Caleb who are twins in our church, and, and I can't think of Joshua and Caleb in the Old Testament without thinking of our Joshua and Caleb. Huh? Remember what happened? Moses sent them into the land of Canaan to, to check it out and see if it's as good as God told them it was. And so for 40 days, they spied out the land. And when they came back, 10 of them said, oh, it's a great land, but there's no way in the world we can take it. Why? All they saw were great, big, huge giants in the land and a little bitty God that they served. Joshua and Caleb were different. They, they saw the same things, but it meant something totally different from them. What did they say? They saw a great big God and little bitty giants in the land. And so they said, we can do it. In fact, their words were, we certainly can do it. Our God is able. Let's take the land. People with the gift of faith are so convinced of the power of God and his word, they believe God can do anything. In fact, their motto is, with God, all things are possible. And church, we need those with the voice of faith in the body of Jesus Christ today to enthusiastically keep us hoping and keep us going and keep us in the promises of God. Amen. So thank you for exercising your gift of faith. Now let's pull up our pants, legs, and get a little deeper in the creek because the next gift is the gift of healing. Verse number 9, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Now, contrary to what you see on religious television, uh, the, the person who has this gift of healing is not that good-looking guy that has long flowing hair and wearing a white suit and flies around in his Learjet and walks around popping people on the forehead saying, be healed. 
in the name of Jesus. That, that, that's not at all who this person with the gift of healing is. The definition of the gift of healings is this. The, the gift of healings is the ability to call upon God to heal the sick through supernatural means for the purpose of God being glorified and God receiving the praise, honor, and glory. I believe this gift of healing is connected to the gift of faith. The person with the gift of healings does not do the healing. Now, in first service at 9 o'clock, I had about 100 people say amen right there. All right? I want you to understand that the person who has the gift and exercises the gift, that healing does not begin with and end with them. In fact, the person who really has the gift, they don't want any credit for it anyway. All they're doing is, is being a channel, a flow of God as God heals the person. God is doing the healing. But the person with the gift is used by God. They see the need. They have faith that God can do something. And because they love the person, they pray for that person that God would heal them. Now, the problem with this gift is that it has either been misused or it has been claimed by people who really don't have the gift. There are people who say they have the gift and they prey on sick people and elderly people. You can see this displayed on religious TV any time of the day. So, so many times their healing services are connected with money. And they'll say to you, send in money, send an offering, and, and I'll take this prayer cloth and I'll cry over it or pray over it and I'll send it to you, and through this prayer cloth you can be healed. Let me tell you, if, if there is money involved in the equation, it is not praying, it is praying. Spelt differently. You with me? However, there are legitimate gifts of healings. And just because there are charlatans out there does not mean that this gift isn't for real. Those with the gifts of, of healing, they trust that God can heal the sick and they pray for the restoration of those who need it, whether it be physical or emotional or mental or spiritual healings. People with this gift of healing, they, they don't see the, the healing every time they pray it. Because it's not up to them to heal the person. It is God who decides who is going to be healed. It's God who decides who receives the healing. All these people are doing is are asking God and, and praying. And sometimes God answers affirmatively. Sometimes he doesn't. It's just up to God. I mean, I can't think of a person in the history of the world who was more godly, who was more on fire for Jesus Christ than the Apostle Paul. And it is clear in Scripture, he had a physical ailment, so much so that he prayed at least three times that God take this thorn of the flesh out, but God never did. God kept saying to Paul, no, Paul, you're going to have to live with it because my grace is sufficient. God doesn't have to heal. And can I remind you that the ultimate healing is when we as believers actually die? Pastors and elders of churches are called to pray over sick people. James chapter 5, I, I take that scripture literally. That if you're sick, you call for the elders of the church and the pastor. And we will pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And guess what? God chooses to heal. God may heal you. 
the healings that Jesus performed were to authenticate the fact that he was Messiah. And I don't dispute the fact that the apostles used healings at the beginning of the church to establish the church in the eyes of people. No question about that. But I also see in the New Testament where Jesus just simply healed people out of compassion. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. So does Jesus still care about sick people today? Answer me, church. Does God care when you're sick? Absolutely he does. And I can't help but believe that, that out of that care and compassion that we have for other people, that if we have this gift of healing, that we're going to pray for one another. Now, again, I want you to understand, we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to affect this healing. But we can pray for and we can intercede for those who are sick. And sometimes God decides to heal the sick person. And when he does, I say, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I told this story to the first service. We were at uh, Randall University this past week. 30 of us went on a missions trip. We, we worked on the college campus, and then we helped a, a new startup church, the Summit Fellowship, as, as they have just gotten started in their meeting on, on Randall's campus. Uh, one night after, after we finished working and, and had our meetings, Angie and I went up into Moore, Oklahoma, and, and just kind of had a little date night. Now, understand, Randall University used to be Hillsdale College. That's where I met Angie. That's where we fell in love. Okay? And it was right there that, that I asked her to marry me. So, so we kind of had one of those little romantic dates. I was holding her hand. Okay? We went into this, uh, this place for a snack, and we were the only people in there. They were about to close, and, and uh, as we were sitting there eating, this, this guy came in. He was an older man, about my age. <laughs> and he had a little, little kid with him, which apparently was his grandson. And as he walked by me, I looked at his T-shirt, and it said Third Day. Now, I don't know if that connects with you, but Third Day is a Christian band. Uh, our praise team sings a lot of Third Day songs. They are, without a doubt, my favorite Christian band. I love Third Day. And I was so sad that this, this past year, they, they uh, I guess because they've gotten old, they decided to call it quits, and, and they're no longer touring. Okay, And so I gave him a thumbs up, Third Day. I said, Third Day. He kind of lit up. He gave me one of those. And I said, man... It, Broke my heart when they decided to, to, to shut it down and, and no longer do concerts. He says, yeah, I know. He said, I went to their final concert in Dallas. It's the best concert I've ever been to. He was loud, and he was, man, he was just, he was talking. We got to going, and we started talking third-day songs at that point. He said, let me tell you a story. You got time for a story? I said, sure, man, tell me a story. He said, several years ago, I was involved in a, in a horrible accident, and they didn't think I was going to live. In fact, they said, this, that there's no way this man can live. He said, I had no brain activity. But he said, as I was laying there, I, I knew what was going on. And even though they saw no brain activity, there was activity in my brain. And, and I heard what they were saying. He's not going to make it. And he said, I first thought of the third day song, Cry Out to Jesus. And he said, that's what I started to do. In my spirit, I started crying out to Jesus and asking Jesus to touch my body and bring healing to me. And I was praying for that. I was crying out to Jesus. And you see, said, you know what? It worked because I didn't die. 
He said the next thing that, that they came up with is that this man is never going to walk again because he had broken his back. He was paralyzed. He'll never walk again. He said, you know what? I kept crying out to Jesus. He said, I know those nurses got sick of hearing me pray. Every time they came into my room, I was crying out to Jesus. I was praying for healing. And guess what? He healed me. And he looked at Angie and I and he said, there is no other explanation than the fact that God performed a miracle in my life. Amen. God can do that. And I tell you, when I, get, when I get sick, there are certain people in this church I want praying for me. <laughs> I want all of you to pray for me. But those who have the gift, man, we need them in the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Number five, the fifth gift is miraculous powers to another working of miracles. Now, obviously, healings are miracles. But the word used here would indicate a broader range of miraculous activities. And the person with this gift is more than likely going to have the gift of faith as well. In the ministry of Jesus, these powerful miracles included such things as exorcisms, resuscitations like Lazarus, natural miracles like calming the sea, and the feeding of the 5,000. We also see it in the lives of the apostles. We see it even in the Old Testament when men such as Moses and Elijah and Elisha performed miracles. But how does this gift function today? Well, like healing, if, if somebody has the gift of miraculous powers, they don't have the power in and of themselves to work the miracles. But rather they are people who have such an extraordinary faith in God that they believe God can move mountains. And when everyone else has given up all hope, they believe that God can come through and that God absolutely can do the miraculous. So have we ever seen something like this? Well, I don't know about you, but, but I have. When there is no other human explanation to a miracle that has been performed, it's got to be God who's done it. Again, first service, I, I used the, another story from Randall University. Again, I go back to when it was Hillsdale College. For 16 years, I served on the board of trustees. Ten years, I was chairman of the board of trustees of that school. And, and I love the school. I, I love the history of our college, and, and I have a part of that campus. I'm so thankful for the ministry that they have amongst not only Free Will Baptists, but Christianity today. But did you know in the mid-90s, all of that almost came to an end? I, I was serving on the board, and I remember these days as if they were yesterday. The regent of the state of Oklahoma higher education decided that they were going to literally shut down private institutions in the state of Oklahoma, and, and they really specifically targeted religious colleges. And th they shut them down. Almost a dozen schools they shut down. And Hillsdale was their next target. And we knew it was coming. So you know what? We, we assembled the army that we had of the churches in the state of Oklahoma and surrounding churches. We, we wrote letters. We did everything that we humanly could do to keep that school open. But it was to no avail. And, and it came down to the fourth watch of the night, the midnight hour, 
On the very next day, Hillsdale College was going to cease to exist. The regents were going to shut the school down. And that night, for some strange reason, the House of Representatives in the state of Oklahoma had to reconvene. There was a bill they had been wrestling with, and they had to vote on this bill. And at the very last moment, one of our Free Will Baptist church members who was on the House of Representatives slipped in an amendment to that bill that would specifically give Hillsdale new life. And miraculously, it was passed. Now, let me think. God can use all kinds of crooked stick. Oh, I shouldn't say that, should I? But he did in this case. We, we did everything we could humanly do. And then God did something special. God, hey, God can do that. God has the power to work miracles. Now, now, again, we've got to be very careful when we come to these miracles, though. Stephen Alford was, was my mentor when it came to preaching, and he made some observations that I believe are, are very important. He said when it comes to miracles and healings and resuscitation and tongues and other occurrences that define nature, they could be one of the three following. And, and you need to be careful and identify where this miracle came from. He said, first of all, it, it can be authentic. It can truly be from God. And I genuinely believe that. However, every miracle needs to be attested and confirmed. But I have no doubt in my mind that God can and still does perform miracles in his people today. He said the, the second is that some are psychic. I call it human hype. And, and by that I mean this. Sometimes it's genuinely not a miracle. It's just us getting hyped up. Did you know you can get yourself hyped up? You can convince yourself there's nothing wrong when there really is something wrong. Okay? Okay? You can convince yourself that you're either sick when you're not sick or that you're healed when you're not healed. Your mind has the power to do that. And I have been in certain worship services and some churches and really all it was was a whole bunch of hype. People getting hyped up in and of themselves. The hype doesn't come from you. A spirit-filled congregation and a spirit-filled person, that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. You can't drum it up on your own. It's from God. So discern. Is it really from God or is it just human hype? And then he said, be careful because it also could be demonic. The Bible says that Satan is a masquerader. Remember that Jesus said there would be people who in the last days would say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we work miracles in your name? And Jesus will reply to them, depart from me, I never knew you. They're deceivers. In fact, remember the, the magicians of Pharaoh, they were able to replicate the miracles of Moses that he performed. Some of these manifestations are not from God at all. They're demonic. So you need to be careful. Then we come to gift number six. Are you still with me? We're going to make it. Hang in there. Gift number six is prophecy to another prophecy. Now, in Scripture, there are really two ways that prophecy worked. First, there was what we might call foretelling. And that is 
predicting the future. It happened all the time in the Old Testament. We even see it happening in the New Testament. Remember in the book of Acts when the prophet Agabus indicated that Paul would face persecution and even imprisonment when he went to Jerusalem. The second way that this gift functioned is what we might call forth-telling. And by that I mean a prophet is someone who speaks powerfully and persuasively to proclaim the message of God. In, in other sense, he is God's spokesman. He, he receives special instructions from God, and then he passes that on to the people. In the Bible days, it may have been a revelation from God. We need to understand that in our day, there are no new revelations. Our canon of Scripture is complete. So what a prophet would do in our day is take the Word of God that we have, the written, complete Scripture, and expound on it. God may tell the prophet, I, I want you to preach this particular passage, and I want you to emphasize this particular point. And church, can you see how important that is in the church of Jesus Christ today? For if there was ever a day we needed a message from God, it is today. We need to hear from God today. And so the prophet or the preacher is the one who expounds on the written word of God and makes practical application. Now, sometimes the, the gift of prophecy is abused or misused. Somebody gets up and they proclaim something that really doesn't square with God's revealed word as it's found in the Bible. That's where this next gift comes into play. It's the seventh gift, the distinguishing between spirits. Verse number 10 says, to another, the discerning of spirits. You see, the presence of false prophets is always a threat to the church. It was that way in the, the New Testament times, and it's still that way today. There is the need for those who have been endowed by the Holy Spirit with this gift and this ability to distinguish between a true prophet and a false prophet. There are also fake healers and false miracle workers. And, and we need to have people in the church who can discern these spirits and where this is coming from. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John said, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So church, we need people with this discerning gift in our Sunday school classes and even here in, in big church. And, and, and they will be able to tell if a false prophet comes in and warn the rest of us. You with me? All right, we've had seven gifts. You ready to go home? No, we got two more. So let's just, just pull up our britches a little further and let's get right out in the middle of the creek today. I'm going to talk about gift eight and nine together because they go together gift eight is speaking in different tongues gift nine is the interpretation of those tongues the greek word that is used for tongue there is glossolalia it literally means tongue the forming of words is they they flow out of your mouth and off your tongue the speaking of tongues and the interpretation of tongues now, most Baptists have a problem with this gift, and specifically, I'll tell you, free will Baptists have historically had a problem with this particular gift. 
most free will Baptist scholars are, are, they believe that these miraculous gifts have ceased. And, and one of the reasons I believe they take that train of thought is because they don't want to have to deal with this gift. Okay? Because it's tough. It, it's, 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 it's tough. I, I, I've been raised free will Baptist. I know what we believe. And, and, and there was such a strong reaction against this particular gift in the church that I grew up in that my preacher never talked about the Holy Spirit. So what in the world is this gift of tongues? Well, th there are two trains of thought in the world of theology and even in free will Baptist. And let me describe those. Some interpret the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 in comparison to the tongues that are spoken in Acts chapter 2. You remember the day of Pentecost? Acts chapter 2, God sent the Holy Spirit down and filled the lives of the believers. The Bible says there were tongues of fire dangling over their heads. They were filled with God's power. And one of the manifestations of that power is they started speaking in tongues. Literally, they were speaking in known languages. Because it goes on to describe in Jerusalem in that day, they were having a big celebration. And there were people from all over the world in Jerusalem. And they were hearing the gospel preached in their own known language. And they marveled at the fact, these are mere Galileans. They, they're, they're, they're unlearned and uneducated men, yet they are speaking in my language, and I understand what they're saying. Now that in and of itself is a pretty big miracle. Huh? It would be like to me today, speaking to you all of a sudden in Chinese. I've never studied Chinese. I don't know the first word in Chinese. But let's say there was a person in our congregation that spoke no English. They only knew Chinese. And as I spoke, they would understand what I'm saying as I preached the gospel. That was what was happening in Acts chapter 2. And so a lot of people think that the tongues in 1 Corinthians 12 is the same thing from Acts chapter 2. It's speaking in a known language that you don't know. Are you with me? And even though that would be an easy out, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's a correct interpretation because when I look at tongues in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, it is something totally different than a known language. This is an ecstatic utterance. The person who is speaking it doesn't know what they're saying, and nobody else knows what they're saying. You study the passage out. When he gets to 14, that's what he's talking about. It's almost like you're speaking a language simply to God. Now, that's where a lot of us have the problem with this, because we, we don't practice speaking in tongues as free will Baptists. And, and can I just tell you, I've been in a whole lot of other churches, many of them, which do practice speaking in tongues. But can I tell you, I've never, I have never personally seen it done correctly. And what do I mean by correctly? Well, Paul gives specific instructions here. Why? Because this gift was being abused and misused by the Corinthians. They were elevating this gift as a, as a top gift. And if you don't have the gift of tongues, you ain't nothing in the church of Jesus Christ. That's why he spent the entirety of chapter 14 saying, no, if you really want to equate them, the gift of tongues is one of the lowest gifts. And prophecy is the greater gift. 
But he does go on and say, if you do practice speaking in tongues in your church, let it only be one or two at, at different times, and there must be an interpreter. And that's what I have failed to see, the, the interpreter. Because what, what good would it do for the edification of the body of Christ if somebody stood up and just started speaking in, in language and saying words we didn't know? And so if, if there is no interpreter, you don't do it, which tells me that it is controllable. It's not something that you just can't control and have to do. No, if there is no interpreter, you don't speak it. That means that you have control over it. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this gift? It seems to me that every other gift that is mentioned, not only in the 1 Corinthians 12 passage, but in all the other passages, are given for the edification of the body of Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us that. You are given a spiritual gift, not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of all of us. However, this gift is a little different. Because Paul is saying in chapter 14, if there is no one to interpret the gift, then you just use the gift in private for your own edification, for your own benefit. And so let me just say to you as, as the pastor of this church, here's our stance on speaking in tongues. We do not... We do not use this gift publicly in our services. So if you have this gift, uh, I've just asked you not, not to use it here. Use it at home. Okay? I told the first service people, I've, I've struggled with this my whole life. You know why? Because my dad's side of the family were all AGs. They were all assembly of gods, and never one of them spoke in tongues. And I, and I thought to myself, you know what? If, if this is a, if this is a, it's a gift and, and, and it's a benefit of God, I want it. And I, I've, I tell you, cut this off the camera. I don't want my fellow free will Baptists hearing this. But I've prayed, Lord, if you want me to have this gift, give it to me. Because I, I want everything there is of the Spirit of God. But he's never given me that gift. I'm going to honor what we practice as free will Baptists. And it's never good when the, when the preacher brings up the treatise of the free will Baptists to the pulpit with him. I, I'd like to read this to you, but I can't read the fine print. So I've, I've written down what we believe. Here's, here's what our treatise says. We believe that speaking in tongues as a visible sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a, a, a false doctrine to be rejected. Any implication of a second work of grace has never been tolerated in our fellowship of churches and will not be permitted. We teach and preach the fullness of the Holy Spirit and heed the scriptural admonition, be filled with the Spirit of God, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So I will tell you this from my belief that it is not a second work of grace. And if someone comes to you and, and tells you that you don't have the Spirit of God in you because you do not speak in tongues, that is an erroneous doctrine. Because you know what? The Bible tells me that when I got saved, I got the Spirit of God. So that really is the basis of, I think, where the free will Baptists stand on this. So, so what is the application? I've, I've had an application for every other gift, haven't I? What's the application for this gift? Well, I think the application for all of us is, is this. 
if this is really a prayer language and, and a static utterance, a, a, a prayer that, that we communicate in our mind to God, I would say to you, if you have this gift, thank, thankful to you, I'm thankful to you that, that there is nothing that is hindering your prayer life. And for the rest of us, I think that is an admonition. There should be nothing that, that come between you and God that in a moment's notice you would be able to cry out to God and he hear your prayer. I think the greatest tragedy for most of us is that there is so much time between the last time we prayed and now that we have to go back and totally reintroduce ourselves to God. Or perhaps there is some sin or wedge between us and the Lord that is restricting our prayer life. To, to me, the application for this tongue, this, this ecstatic utterance, this prayer language to God is you make sure that you keep your channel to God open at all times so that when you need to call on his name, you don't have to reintroduce yourself to him. And here are the nine gifts, seven of them considered miraculous gifts. And I don't know, maybe you believe that these miracle gifts ceased after the establishment of, of the church. I, I don't see it that way. I, I believe that these gifts are still active and in use today. Because you know what? My God is a God of miracles. How do I know that? Well, he performed one in my life. In fact, it's the greatest miracle of all. He changed me. He, he turned my life around. He transformed me when I was born again. Remember that story? This, this wise, educated, knowledgeable man came to Jesus asking real-life questions about eternity. His name was Nicodemus. He came late at night. And here's what Jesus said to Nick. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And what Jesus was talking about is the miracle of the new birth. Amen. So let me just ask you pointedly, those, those in person and and you online, have you been born again? Have you been born again? Has the greatest miracle of all happened in your life? If not, today's the day. Best day ever. Today you can be born again. You can have the miracle of the new life in your own life. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are here and those who are watching online. Pray, dear Lord, that if there's anyone under the sound of my voice today that has never experienced new life, they've never been born again, they don't know the miracle of the new birth, I pray that today they would cry out on the name of Jesus, that they would ask you, dear Lord, to forgive them of their sins and come into their life and transform them. Thank you, dear Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, thank you for dispensing spiritual gifts in our life to be used in the ministry of the church for the edification of the body of Christ. May each one of us discover our gift and put it into use in a practical way through a ministry of Kavanaugh Church. Lord, I love you and I love these people. I pray a blessing on everyone who is listening today. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're not able to have altar calls uh, right now because of COVID-19. But you know what, if, if God has spoken to your heart, would you come see me after service or one of our other pastors? We, we want to have a word with you and, and we want to pray over you. If, you. if you're struggling with anything in life, even discovering your spiritual gift, 
uh, come and see us this week. Uh, we want to help you. Uh, as you leave the worship center today, uh, we have boxes at each exit. You drop your offering in the box now, and uh, we would appreciate that. Um, Governor Hutchinson has said that we are moving into stage two on Monday. As far as I can discern, Stephen, stage two is really no different for churches than stage one. Uh, so we're just going to keep doing church the way we're doing it right now until further notification. That means tonight everything is going to be online. Uh, Brother Johnny's going to have kids church at 6 p.m. Brother Nathan will have a teen church uh, on Instagram Live for you teens to tune into. Then at 6.30, we're going to have the adult Bible study lesson. Ronnie Fox is going to teach it tonight. He asked that you have two things, your Bible and also a copy of the old hymn, How Great Thou Art. All right? Uh, I'm excited about that. Wednesday night, we'll be online again, Facebook Live. Uh, it's 7 o'clock. And what we're going to do this Wednesday night is uh, give you a taste of what happened on our missions trip this past week. So you're going to get to see pictures of projects we were doing and also a challenge from missions. Uh, at the end of the month, Pastor Jose is going to be with us from Puerto Rico. Uh, we love Pastor Jose. I've asked Pastor Jose to preach on uh, June 28th. Uh, so he's going to be here both first service and second service. Uh, Pastor Jose's English has improved greatly, but he's more comfortable with an interpreter. So Sister Diana is going to interpret. Isn't that awesome? I mean, it's going to be fantastic. So mark your calendars. Be here. Uh, one of the reasons he's coming in is because Matt has uh, put together a fundraiser for Puerto Rico. It's going to happen on Saturday, the 27th of June. Uh, it's a mattress sale. So literally, our gym is going to turn into a mattress store, right? And uh, you can come in and buy quality mattresses at 50% off. But really, all we're asking our church to do, you don't have to buy one, we're asking you to advertise this. And so Matt's got uh, yard signs, lawn signs. Uh, you can pick one up or just give him your address, and he'll take it to your house and stick it in your yard. Uh, we're asking that you go on social media and advertise this on uh, Facebook and, and Twitter, um, Matt has brochures out there for that. Uh, so be praying about that. Get involved. Pray for Pastor Jose. Man, I love that guy. And uh, he's going to be a, a great inspiration to us, I know. Keep praying for It's Our Turn campaign. Uh, Haley and Stephen, we're building a new church building, and we're so excited. Guys, you can go outside and look at the progress that's been made. We started a stewardship campaign to, to raise $5 million to pay for this thing, and COVID hit. And so we put the campaign on pause. It's our turn is on pause. We're going to push the play button in September. But keep praying. Uh, if you don't have one of the wristbands, it's our turn. Get one. It reminds us that at 1.30 every day, we pray for the campaign. We pray for our building. We pray that God fill our church up with people. All right? So make sure that you do that every single day. Pray for each other. Uh, one of our pastors, Ray Copeland, is uh, in ICU in Little Rock at UAMS. Um, Ray has uh, uh, leakage. He's bleeding, and they cannot identify where the, the blood is coming from. Uh, he is in critical but stable condition in ICU. So pray for him. Pray for Sister Charlotte. Pray for Ron Rogers as he recovers from his motorcycle accident. Pray for each other. I'm going to leave you with this. I love you. Thank you. I do. I love you. Our staff loves you. Most of all, God loves you. And remember that as you go out from this place today. God bless you. Get out of here.